0: This audio recording is presented by New City in downtown Orlando. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, good morning. Happy New Year. Uh, If you can't tell by the calendar, uh, you certainly can tell by the headlines, blog posts, uh, social media, streams, all of that, that it's the new year. Why? Because everyone's talking about New Year's resolutions, right? Uh, they're either talking about them in a positive way or they're talking about them in a negative way, right? I, some of you love it. I, I would probably put myself closer to this spectrum. I think that uh, the new year is a great time uh, to calibrate myself, to reflect on the past, to uh, project into the future, and I hope you do too, but some of you are very cynical, and I understand this. Uh, some of you really agree with the headlines that say "Resolutions don't work," and all of those things, and that 's fine, bless your heart. But I want to tell you this: I do want to tell you this: uh, Some of us are cynical, uh, some of us are more hopeful than that, but uh, two things are definitely true. And one is that most of us fall somewhere in the middle, and the other is that no matter what, where you are on that, whether it's a new year or a new school semester or a new city or a new job or a new day or a new week, there's something about newness that brings us face-to-face with our desire to grow and to change, right? Just think about that. Think about the last time, uh, maybe it was two days ago on January 1st or leading up to it, or the last time you took a new job or new responsibilities or started a new school semester. There's this flicker in you of, Hope, right, that things can be different, that things can be better, that you can grow and you can change. And sometimes that flicker is extinguished immediately by cynicism and fear and doubt. And sometimes it's it's, uh, combusted quickly in arrogance and self-dependence only to extinguish really fast. But in any case, it was there and it's natural and I think it's good. Ted mentioned earlier, it's human, this desire to grow, this desire to change. And I think growth is natural. Goals are good. Resolutions are fine. But one thing is certain, and that is if we do not set our sights on growth and change from a place of solid ground identity, that is to say, as Ted said earlier, if we do not live from a status of being loved and accepted... We only have one other choice, and that is to live for a desire in striving to make something of ourselves for ourselves. Those are our two options. And so we're starting this series this morning, our normal, I should say our steady diet, at New City, is to preach through a book of the Bible. We just finished 1 John, and that's usually what we do. We start at the beginning of a book, and we just keep going until we get to the end. And then periodically, we go to various passages and do various topics, and that's what we're doing in the month of January. And we're calling it Calibrate, because think about this with me. Uh, Anytime we think about how we would like to grow, how we would like to change, uh, we have a standard that's in our mind. Yesterday, I was driving, I can't even remember where, and Uh, there were two police officers on both sides of the street, outside of their car, with radar guns, right? And I have some friends who are police officers, and I know that you have to calibrate those things, right? Because if it says I'm speeding, how do you know unless it's calibrated to a standard? And so those things are calibrated regularly, I hope. And I know that my life needs to be calibrated regularly. But the question is, what will I calibrate it by? And so what we want to talk about this month are fundamental truths, that the scriptures teach us to live from instead of striving for. I want all of us to change this year and I'm gonna talk more about that. I want all of us to grow. I want all of us to grow out of cynicism and into proper hope. But the only way we can do that is to calibrate our lives according to God's word. Otherwise, how do we know what to want? How do we know why we wanna change? How do we know what we wanna change? We need to be calibrated regularly. I think this is especially true because we live in a culture where we focus on symptoms rather than causes. We tend to treat symptoms rather than causes. So for example, another way to say it is we address behavior when there's something more fundamental to that. I was thinking about this. Um, one New Year's resolution, no doubt, will be related to consumption of something, right? Uh, I, uh, you might say, I'm, I'm a chronic overeater. Or I'm a chronic uh, over streamer, right? Netflix, Hulu, something like that. Uh, Maybe it's alcohol. It could be anything. Any type of consumption. We think, I need to stop doing that. And we attack the symptom rather than recognizing there's something underneath that that we probably ought to pay attention to. Uh, Another thing is the parent who's constantly yelling or snapping at the children thinks, why am I so angry? I need to stop doing that. I need to stop being angry. Well, you realize there's probably something underneath that that you might want to address but I tell you what, that's a dangerous place to go. To go into your motivations, to go into underlying things, that, that gets dark, it can get dark really quickly. If you're striving to find your identity in your behavior, it can get dark really quickly. And you lose hope very quickly. And that's why, I don't know what the percentage is, more than half of you who did set a resolution, what's a day, The third? You got till about Wednesday, Right? Because we focus on behavior and not what's underneath it. This morning, I want to focus on what I think is the fundamental truth uh, to live from in this series, the whole idea of calibrate. What are we going to live from? We need to live from a solid identity, which I said, and the scriptures are very clear that the solid identity of a Christian is the fact that they've been adopted into the family of the creator God, and the creator God is now our father. We have his love, we have his acceptance, and we get to live from that instead of striving to earn that. And so we already read uh, one of the great passages that speaks this truth for the call to worship and the sister passage, same author, the Apostle Paul, we'll see now in Galatians chapter 4. And we're going to see two things, really simple this morning. Uh, My hope for this, in the same way that hopefully you experienced the worship music earlier as very, uh, causing us to reflect, causing us to go in and think. I really hope this series does that because uh, this is crucial when we think about desire to change and desire to grow, is the capacity to reflect, the capacity to think. And so I want it to stay simple, and I want to try to drive in simple truths, and we'll see two things today. First, we'll see there's the status of adoption in this passage, and then we'll see there's the experience of adoption. So first, let's look at this, the status of adoption. Verse four, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So at the right time, God sends forth his son, born of a woman. We just celebrated this. He became human. God sends his son to become a man born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. What, what's happening here? Basically, God sends his perfect son to, to live the law perfectly like you and I can't. So he's born as a human under the law and then he completes the law perfectly in terms of motivation, action, desire, worship, and all of those things, Jesus is perfect. He upholds the law for who? For us who are also under the law, who can't, right? But why? Why does God, what's his objective? To send his son to become a human at the right time, to live under the law, to complete the law for us who can't complete the law. Why? So that, verse 5, we might receive adoption as sons. It's pretty clear. So that we might receive adoption as sons. But what is adoption? We talk about adoption a decent amount here because the Bible talks a lot about it. So in some sense, this will be review. But I hope that, again, we can slow down and reflect. Adoption as sons it's what it says. The NIV says the full rights, I think it says the full rights as sons. All right, this, this word sons was a technical word uh, in this Greco-Roman culture. Uh, adoption as sons is a legal term used in the adoption and inheritance laws of first century Rome. So basically, this is what would happen. A wealthy person may get older and not have an heir, and they get to towards the end of their life, and they think, who am I going to give this inheritance to? Who am I going to pass on my wealth to? Who's going to carry on my name and my honor? And so they choose someone, and they adopt them into that place, all right? Now, a few things happen when they adopt them into that place. I don't know what the paperwork looked like, but I do know there was an official process, and once that paper or something was signed, sealed, delivered, there was a status change, the person who was adopted went from probably having some type of debt, no, no uh, significant serious status, certainly no wealth in most cases, and they were immediately transferred into this family where they were the beloved son. They were the beloved son in terms of inheritance, in terms of value, in terms of status, in terms of identity. It happened immediately. Their legal status changed. And the reason I think it's, it's brilliant, it's beautiful, it's true that Paul chooses uh, this word, this, this, this uh, cultural, technical idea to communicate to us exactly what God is doing in the gospel. God is changing your status. When you trust in Jesus, in that moment, when you place your faith on the finished work of Christ and not your own, you are adopted into God's family. You become a child of God, which means all of your debts are canceled And you receive all of the future inheritance, all of the status, everything as though you were a son. And in this case, as though you were the son of God who was born under the law for us. You receive everything that he accomplished for you. Pretty simple, right? Not easy, but simple. Clear enough. I think what's amazing is as clear as that is, we never live that way. That's That's hyperbole. We, we have a hard time living that way, don't we? Isn't this part of the Christian life? Isn't this part of growth to actually embrace and experience the status that we actually are viewed by God as his children? I have this idea. I have this suspicion that somewhere, maybe not even that deep down, you believe that God puts up with you. Ted talked about this a couple weeks ago, that he puts up with you, but Barely that he puts up with you uh, for now, that he puts up with you, but he's not really happy about that. Is that not true? I mean, so often we focus on the negative side of salvation. Now, I know that might be a funny way of saying it, the negative side of salvation, but think about it. What I mean is oftentimes we think of part of the truth of the gospel, and that is that when I trust in Jesus, my sins are forgiven. They're removed from me. That's true. That's beautiful. It's necessary. Your sins must be removed from you. But the gospel is more than that. When your sins are removed from you, the standing status and righteousness of the son, Jesus, is put on you. So we talk about that being double imputation or the great exchange. That not only was your sin removed, but that righteousness is given to you. That sonship and inheritance is given to you. We don't just get a pardon right because a pardon would say something like this a pardon would say your sins are forgiven you may leave get out get out of my courtroom but when we, when we excuse me when we receive adoption it's your sins are forgiven but you're not just free to go you're free to come you're now my child come there's this there's this verdict this transfer and then there's this open arms and then there's this running But it's not us to the Father; it's the Father to us, in Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the status of adoption. And I tell you what: I have this native, natural inability uh, to not believe that, Uh, at least not functionally. And this, and this is how uh, I want us to think about this. Um, I, if you think that you have a hard time living fully in your status of adoption, let me ask you some questions. Okay, if Uh, Why are you so sensitive to criticism? I mean, seriously, if you're accepted by the creator God, why can't you take some helpful criticism? Why can't I? Why do you fear failure so much? I mean, seriously, why? Why are you so scared to fail when you try things? Why does asking for forgiveness seem like psychological death to you? Right? psychological, emotional, spiritual death, why are we secretly comparing ourselves with others all of the time? Oh, you don't do that? Why am I doing that? Why must you always be right, safe, secure, and defensive? Why can you only handle praise? Why are you an expert at pointing out what's wrong and you're always dissatisfied about something? Why do we treat prayer so often as a last resort? Why do we need to constantly point out our own accomplishments for fear that someone else somehow, some way might overlook them? And they're really important to us because we have a record we're trying to build up. Why? Well, so we know that we're accepted. So we know that we're okay. Now we struggle with these things because as we say a lot at New City and as other people say, it's because rather than living as adopted children, we live as orphans, spiritual orphans. Now, just imagine though, in this status of adoption, I'm gonna tell you now some things, if those are questions that sting a little bit because they resonate, I wanna tell you some things that can be true about us and are offered to us in this status of adoption. And that is this, because we are adopted children of God, we can live in daily self-conscious partnership with God. Because he always longed for us to commune with him. He's always there. We can live and not be fearful. We can be open to criticism since we stand in Christ's perfection, not our own. And we're able to examine our deeper motives. This is what I'm getting back to earlier, right? If our security and righteousness and identity comes from the finished work of Christ, we don't have to be fearful and repenting of our motivation. We don't, it doesn't, it's not so dark anymore. Remember the first John series? We actually realized that coming into the light is being increasingly honest with yourself and with others about what you need to repent of, of, of who you are, and letting God's light shine into your heart. And the more frequently we do that, we receive transformation. We change, we grow, not by striving, but by acknowledging who we are, accepting the righteousness that comes from God in Jesus Christ in our adoption, and living from God's love instead of for God's love. That's possible. And the last one I have is we actually will be able, if we live as children, secure in what Jesus has done for us, we'll be able to freely confess our faults to others, our shortcomings, our fears and we'll be eager and hopeful in our desire to grow, even there when it feels like death. We know it won't be. Because ultimately our identity is not in our own performance, but it's in the Lord's. So there it is, the status of adoption. That's true, that's good, that's necessary as we think about change and growth. But that's not all that Paul talks about. He does talk about the status of adoption. But I also want to... Before we tie it up and talk about change and New Year's and all of that, I wanna do one more thing here. Let's follow Paul in verse six. And the second thing is he shows us the experience of adoption. So we have the status of adoption and the experience of adoption. So we've been adopted. It's happened. Look at verse six. And because you are sons, that is to say you are heirs, you are children, your status has changed. Because of that, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, I wish I could talk about so much more that came earlier in this chapter. We went through Galatians a while back. I'd recommend going back, listening to that. It'll be worth your time. We can't get into everything, but, but let's talk about this. Let's make one observation. Do you see in verse four that the agent that God sends is his son to accomplish something in the world on our behalf? That happened? Now look, he sends someone else. In verse six, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. So in the first case, God sends his son to accomplish something outside of us in the world. And now God sends his spirit to accomplish something inside our hearts. And that is that the Spirit would give us the experience of our adoption. Our status is already there, but increasingly we'll experience it. The songs were amazing this week for me because I knew it was coming. And I hope that you can think back and read and see all of the connections. But when we talk about the beauty of experience and, and the welcoming of God's Spirit, we know that it's only by God's grace that we've been adopted and it's only by His mercy that we will receive experience of that. And that's exactly what Paul says. We read it earlier in our call to worship and we read it now that by God's mercy, the spirit has been sent to assure us that our adoption is true. Now listen, I understand it can be dangerous to talk about experience. I understand it can be dangerous because we all have different experiences from different church traditions that emphasize different things. I understand that. That Some of us are bringing that in. I also understand that we live no longer, many would say, in an economy of knowledge, but an economy of experience, and that is what people value most is experience, whatever it is, thrill, experience. We're, we're, we're striving for experience. But I don't want to shy away from the fact that what this text says is that our Father wants us to experience assurance, He wants us to experience his presence that we sang about. He wants us to experience him. I want that. And I know that you want that. But sometimes we don't experience it. So the question would be, uh, what happens when we experience it? And how do we experience it? Okay, so what happens? Just most basically, uh, Paul says that the Spirit is given to us to cry out. Right? Crying out is is this, this very strong word, actually. And it, it brings with it this idea of deep passion and feeling. So in this passage, it's clearly the spirit crying out. What we read earlier in the call to worship is that when the spirit cries out, it resonates with our heart, and our heart starts to cry out. And then the spirit who's leading us into this deep passion and feeling and experience brings us along into his experience. And then we resonate, and when we hear we are adopted children of God, we say, yes, we are. Although oftentimes we're like, yeah, that's true. And both are good, both are necessary. But the other thing, what else does it do besides resonate our spirit with this deep passion and feeling that the Holy Spirit is crying out with, but also it creates intimacy and prayer? All right, where do I get that? Pretty simple, Uh, Who do we cry out to? Our Father. What is prayer? Prayer is crying out to the Father. It's worshiping the Father. And so what happens is when the Spirit comes to give us an experience, it gives us an experience of deep passion and worship and intimacy and prayer. And these things bring assurance. Now assurance is a word in the church that we're used to. We use that word. But I just want to pause again and reflect on the fact that Christianity is the only religion that I am aware of. And I think, therefore, the only religion that offers you full assurance apart from your own works. You see, you have assurance. We can have assurance because our assurance is not based on ourselves, but it's based on the Lord Jesus Christ. And so by his grace, God wants us to experience this assurance that is ours in Jesus, listen, uh, I heard it this week as I was uh, either read it or heard it or something as I was thinking about today um, and, and the reflection was this: uh, you don 't have to teach a child uh, that their parent uh, to expect that their parents should love them, right So I see that my daughters just expect me that I will love them, right they just they just come to me and they 're really resilient almost in that fact. They just come to me, no matter how many times I fail them, and uh, they just expect that I'm going to love them this time. I mean, it's just amazing to watch that. Uh, they come up to me and, uh, Daddy, do this for me, do that for me. Uh, Daddy, I love you. My little girl, Both my girls are sweet in their own ways, and they have their, their own ways that they express affection towards me. But I was reflecting on that and thinking, I fail them, and they still continually come back to me. And I think about the fact of how reticent I am to go to the Father when I fail him, and he's never failed me. What is what is wrong with me? I think it's called lots of things, but it's at least sin. And I have a feeling that you're also infected with that. That you are haunted in certain areas of your life with this deep suspicion that you are not worthy to be a child of God, and the accuser begins to attack you and make you doubt to where you would rather run to darkness instead of to light and the Father who would welcome you and have you. So if that's what's offered to us, how do, we, how do we get it? Because God is giving it to us. I think that it's not magic. Um, and I think it's relatively simple and straightforward. Uh, we don't ask for the experience. We meditate on what Jesus has done for us and who God is. Regularly. We don't ask for the experience. We go and meditate and we worship and we praise God for what he has done in Jesus Christ. And this is why we want to create a culture of Bible reading, particularly through CBR. It's not because we're earning anything. It's because a daily practice of meditating on the scripture through the gospel, of first praising God for who he is and what he has done which which leads us to confess our sin to him in that specific area and then come to Jesus and see how Jesus has freed us that we don't have to commit that sin anymore that we don't have to struggle with that anymore but not only that but he's already paid for it and he will secure our salvation in the future. He will glorify us. He will change us completely. And as we meditate on that over and over and over the spirit who lives in us will say you see that that's true about you. That's true about you. You see how you're growing, you see how you've changed. You see what I've done for you? And increasingly, our spirit will say yes, and we will experience him over and over and more and more. That's why we do CBR. That's why we meditate on the Lord. And you know, I think one other thing I would say about this in experiencing God is that I have found in times of my life when I come to God for things I experience my sonship a lot less than when I come to God for God. It's very interesting how that works. But I think it has something to do with this. I don't need the Holy Spirit to ask God for stuff. I mean, anybody can ask God for stuff, right? If He's God, you ask Him for some stuff. Now, we should. We should ask God. We should petition to Him. We should also ask on behalf of others. But I've found that when I really focus in that first step in CBR of adoration, when I list all of the reasons as to why God is worthy of my praise, I begin to see how beautiful he is. And that comes from the Holy Spirit. And then I realize God is not an end to something. He's not a means to another end. He is the end. And it it creates in me this longing and this desire for more of him. And I see his beauty and I see joy that's possible in him. And you know what I find that's interesting? It all of a sudden changes the types of things I'm asking for. It changes my expectation in good ways. It recalibrates my hopes and dreams and fears. See, when the spirit is working like this, we find him beautiful. And he's our father. And we find ourselves becoming more and more inclined to run to him when we fail him instead of away from him when we fail him. Listen, I want you to grow this year. I want you to be transformed. I really do. I want you to dream and use your imagination to think about how this year could be different. I want you to think about all the things that you wanna stop doing, all the things you wanna start doing, all the things you wanna keep doing. I want you to think about all of that, okay? But listen, at the heart of a desire to make any resolution in the new year is the desire to change. And the Bible has a lot to say about how change happens. And ultimately, we need to calibrate our desire to change with the truth that lasting change finds its hope in the finished work of Jesus. Change that lasts, change that matters will be rooted in an identity that's found in Jesus. And when we calibrate our desire to change against that finished work, it oftentimes will change what we think we need to change because it will realign our desires for change. If we desire to change for the sake of earning life or getting life, we will ruin our life in a frantic treadmill of striving. Everything you do will be for striving. You'll say, if only I can get this, if only I can be this, if only I can look like this, if only I can act like this, if only I could do this, if only if I could live there, on and on and on, then I would be okay. Well, but the other side is this. If we resign to the belief that we can't change, what happens? Well, we say, hey, this is nothing I can do about this. Like, I'm always gonna be angry. I'm always gonna be undisciplined. I'm always gonna be unorganized. I'm always gonna have a short temper. I just have to be okay with that. Either way, you'll become self-righteous, self-reliant, and miserable. I promise you. You'll be unable to fully love others because your striving, my striving, will lead to hopelessness and turning us in towards ourselves. We will have no capacity to love others. We have no capacity to change because we will be on the treadmill of striving. And the gift given to a Christian is that we start from a place of being a beloved and adopted child of God who doesn't have to do a single stinking thing to earn any love from their father. Think about how secure that is. Think about how sure that is. Think about how eternal that is. And because we're secure in this eternal love, We will pursue growth and holiness out of a response from the security we have as opposed to striving to earn. So this year, I do want us to grow. I want all of us to grow. I want us to increasingly, daily, regularly calibrate our lives by the truth that we are loved in Jesus Christ, that we are adopted children of God. And when we do that, we will change. When we do that, everything will change. And over the next three weeks, I want us to consider what are some of the key things that we can calibrate our desires and hopes and dreams on as we think about what God might actually call us to do in 2016, when we think about how God actually might lead us this year, when we think about all of the things that God, by his grace, will use us to accomplish in the life of others, our neighbors, our friends, our family members, our coworkers and in the world. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful that we can call you Father. I, I say it, I say Father, and so often I confess, I don't reflect on the fact that you are my Father. It just becomes a word to say. We want to know you more, we want to delight in you Your word is so clear that you are our hope. You are the source of all joy, all security, all power. The only way we would be transformed is by being adopted into your family, by being reconciled to you, by receiving your Holy Spirit, being sent into the world to be used by you. We ask that we would repent where we need to repent, but that repentance would lead to life Enjoy. Keep us from cynicism. Keep us from arrogance. Lead us in dependence. In Jesus' name.